Today I'm speaking about a living hope. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13. So now faith, hope and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And the greatest of these is love, beginning with God's love for us. And that word abide, these three abide, that means they remain and they continue eternally. And this eternal love that God has for us causes the faith and the hope to exist. God's love is the beginning and end of all things. It's the source of the hope that we can live in at all times. It's the reality of a living hope. And everybody needs some kind of hope. Everybody on the planet goes through difficult circumstances, situations of uncertainty and danger and loss. And some people make it through better than others. And those who do the best in coming through these experiences are those that have clung on to some kind of hope. You know the feeling. What can I hope in? Is there any hope? That's what gets you through. So where do people generally find this regular kind of day-to-day -day hope in the world? Well, the answer is they find something or someone, perhaps even themselves, to believe in. Something to believe in. And it can be just themselves at times. And our natural skills and experience can give us hope or confidence for a while, at least. Nothing lasts forever in this world. And in this world, there are many random things to give us hope in. They're on offer to believe in. They're out there. Try this buy this, and it can seem like a guessing game, because the certainty of a person's hope depends upon the reliability and the credibility of what they believe in. And nothing in this world is certain or lasts forever. There are also superstitious and religious teachings that Paul cautions the church about. Not to be tossed to and fro and carried about by every wind of teaching, by human cunning or devices. And the word for that is kubia, K-U-B-E-I-A, the human cunning or devices. And that means rolling the dice. That word kubia was the dice. Like, what are your chances with this one? Here's something new. That's in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. Try this. Here's another teaching. A new method on the internet, maybe. How to get God to answer your prayer. Here's some hope. And these things just lead to disappointment. And there's too much of that. I must say that over the last year, I've been in a little bit of reaction to that kind of thing happening. But... I've 
seen that God's totally in command of that. And I can really understand the need for people to be reaching out, looking for anything they can that's got a scripture to it. I understand that. And I see God's heart of compassion in reaching down, seeing people's hearts and saying, I'll get you through this. But I believe that God desires to meet each one of us a need that he sees that we have to be drawn closer to him. That's what he wants to do. Rather than just for a, a sincere cause that somebody has, no matter how righteous that may seem to that person, God is looking at people that may be disappointed at the moment, that their prayer wasn't answered, but God sees a heart crying out to him and he says, there is something I desire to give you. I'm going to draw you closer to me in all of this. And I've been able to rest in that. It blesses me to see God's compassion and love for all of us. Because we don't know what to pray for as we ought. The Holy Spirit helps us. I'll, I'll talk a little bit about prayer later on. But we can have, as Christians, a certain hope. Life can't be a random guessing game. Our faith and our hope go together. Our hope is based on our faith in God's loving goodness towards us. That's our hope. I'm going to read about faith and hope from Hebrews chapter 11. In verse 1, it says, Now faith is the basis of things hoped for, the assurance of things not seen. I'm using the word basis there. Faith is the basis some translations say, the King James does, the substance. Substance is a very broad word. It can be quite vague, the substance. But the actual word in the Greek is hypostasis, which means that which undergirds something and causes it to stand. Hypo, under, stasis, to stand. Which means the basis of something. So faith is the basis of hoping. And it's the assurance of unseen things. Things is also a very vague word. But the word there for things is pragma, which means activity. Faith is the assurance of unseen activity. Whose activity? God's activity. That's faith. Faith is the basis of hope. It's the assurance of the unseen activity of God who loves us and wants to do us good. So there we have faith, hope and love lasting forever. God's love is for you all the time. Your Faith is for God. That's your response. He loves you. You get an understanding of that. You believe in that. You give that faith to God. Your faith is to God. It's for God. As it says later on in this same chapter in Hebrews, it says, without faith it's impossible to please God. Where, what about hope? Is that for God? Is that from God to you? That is for you. That becomes your living hope. Hope 
blesses you. Because faith is the basis for your hope. You know you are loved by a loving, purposeful God for you. You can now live a life knowing that someone is personally thinking about you continually. You see, we talk about people that get through tough times are those that cling to a hope. And what's their hope based on? Something they believe in. Well, that could be anything. Look what you've got. Faith in a God that is personally thinking about you, continually working life out for you far better than you could do it for yourself. That's your hope. Every moment of the day, hope that lasts, that strengthens the soul. I'm going to read again from Hebrews chapter 6. It says that we might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place of his presence behind the veil where Jesus, the forerunner, has entered for us. That's where your hope takes you through the veil. So what's this veil? And how does that relate to a sure and steadfast anchor of hope? That veil hung in the temple in Jerusalem. At the time of Jesus, it was hanging there every day of his life. And it signified the separation between the people and the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant. And behind that veil was the most holy place and only the high priest could enter in once a year on the Day of Atonement when Israel were cleansed from all of their sins. When Jesus died on the cross, the moment that he died on the cross, the veil, that veil that had been there for a long, long time, for centuries, was torn from top to bottom and the earth shook. The rocks on the mountains round about were split. This was an act of God from heaven, telling us that Jesus was the forerunner for us in entering through the torn veil and breaking the separation between God and man from that time on. No more separation. No more day of atonement. There was no living, breathing day of atonement from that time on. Jesus was our atonement. Through his love, forgiveness, mercy, through Jesus, our living hope. Humanity came through the veil. Access to the presence of God. It wasn't just on the cross that Jesus went through that veil. Well, he did that for all of us, for humanity, but every day of his life on earth, Jesus went through that veil because it had no hold over him. It created no separation for Jesus. Even though he was tempted in all things, as with us, he was able to go straight into the presence of God. The true heart, full assurance of faith. He went into the holy place for us who can now do the same. He was the first of a new creation. In the Bible, this veil is called the flesh. 
strange word. I'm going to read another scripture from Hebrews. This is, so much of this is from Hebrews, the beautiful revelation of the new covenant, from the old to the new. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says, Therefore, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, and let us resolutely affirm the declaration of our hope without hesitation. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider now how to stir up one another to love and good works. See the process of change life? Going to a place that's ready, prepared for it, to live in. You can live on one side of the veil or the other. That's for Christians who know. It's for people who know. But that veil exists still for us. It's still there in our lives. It's just a matter of going through it. But it's there. And it's a mindset of the separated self. That's called the flesh in the Bible. A separated self-mindset is that aspect of our humanity called the flesh. The flesh can generally be described as our humanity, generally. It's the flesh. It's our humanity. And it's baser instincts, the good and the bad. Our humanity can do great things and terribly evil things. It's called the flesh. That's humanity in its basic form. It's called the old man in the scriptures, the old anthropos, the old Adam, or the old nature that started with Adam. When he ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he experienced what? He experienced separation from God. What's going on? He ran and hid. He was ashamed. He covered himself up. He felt separate from God because there was that act of disobedience. And that's humanity in its separated mindset. And that's what we carry around with us. That's our veil. However, we can go through it now. And we need to know that. Jesus came in the flesh, the Bible says. He came with that potential of a separated mindset. He inherited everything from Adam, tempted in all things like we are. But he lived in the spirit. We can live in the flesh with a separation mindset or we can live in the spirit through the veil. He's gone before us. So our flesh, our veil stands between us and the presence of God until we go through, by faith, into what Jesus did. In making us partakers of his divine nature through his death and resurrection and sending the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. I'm talking about a living hope today. What keeps you going from day to day in the times of stress and danger and uncertainty? The separated self-mindset, the flesh, is a negative and distorted self-consciousness. 
Have you ever felt that? I certainly have. It seeks to wake you up every morning and say good day to you. Put off the old man. Be renewed in the spirit of the mind and put on the new man, the new creation created in God in righteousness and true holiness. Why do you think Paul put the one thing before the other? Because the default mode is, oh, hello. Put that off, get renewed, get your mindset correct, go through the veil and start to live the day with your hope, knowing that God's got a loving purpose for you. So that negative and distorted self-consciousness in every single individual, Christian or not, if, if we're living in that thing, it finds ways to cope with all the things we struggle with in life and it doesn't do a very good job. The struggles of the past, the disappointment and loss, the failures, the errors. Aren't they wonderful things to think about? <laughs> and then there's the uncertainties of the future, the anxiety, the perplexity, the danger. Our assurance of faith is that we are now a new creation in Christ and the unfailing hope in God's love and goodwill for us gets us through that veil of separation and into the living presence of God where all things become new. His mercies are new every morning. Now this is for our existence. Not just for our survival, but for our life of a living hope. An expectation of the goodness of God in our lives. It was one for us. When we go through the veil of negative self-consciousness, which we know all too well, when we go through in this way, we experience the positive God-consciousness of faith and hope and love in our soul. What would you prefer? <laughs> okay. So how do we push through the veil? Well, let me put this in the first person. The first thing I need to do is reflect upon that love of God that he has for me. That's number one. I don't start thinking of whether I'm worthy or forget that. God first. He loves me. And that's not a passive love. It's the activity of his goodwill towards me at all times. And I sit there in that. Yes, Lord, you are big enough for that. If my heart condemns me, you're greater than my heart. You know all things. Our attentive reflection brings his love into the central focus of the present moment of what is actually happening in life for us. If I can say this is what's happening, this is the big thing that's happening now, is you love me. That's the best start I can make. It shifts all the past disappointments and loss out of the way and puts them out of mind because I've got something better under mind. It moves the uncertain future and anxiety out of the way and moves them out of mind. If I decide to focus on the thing that is happening that is the best thing that could be happening to anybody in the universe, which was done 2,000 years ago so that we would remember this and live like it, it leaves us only with the reality of the love of God for us. 
a love that is eternally creative and powerful and purposeful for us. Now, if you can, it's there for you. If you go in your faith, just count to 10 and enjoy that 10 seconds like you've never enjoyed a 10 seconds before. <laughs> count to 10 and then count another 10. And, then, and you're not wasting time. It finds its way deep into your heart. In Psalm 139, David would say, he was a man after God's own heart, how precious are your thoughts to me, O God. That word thoughts is not just, oh yes, I, I remember you, you're David. No, that word thoughts means the purposeful and powerful thoughts towards the meaning of your life and what is for you. That's where I'm taking you. The goal. It's eternally creative and powerful. It's always the starting point. The consciousness of God's love and that generates the faith and the hope. All right, now let's look at prayer. It's from this place of faith with the peace of God ruling in our hearts that we bring our prayers and petitions into God's presence with a real faith in his love and faithfulness to us. It's not outside the veil when you're going to do something. It is, you go through the veil, you sit with him, you say, let's talk over a few things. That's where you pray from. We trust his love to attend to our needs when we sit in that place and the needs of others that we're praying for according to his good will for all of us. Real hope. And real faith operates through the love of God. Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 2 mentions two prophetic fulfilments of Old Testament scripture. And the first was from the prophecy of Joel. This is that which the prophet Joel spoke of. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh the humanity that's got the distorted, separated mindset. Now, that prophecy wrapped the whole world up in the love of God because the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon all flesh, meaning that humanity is now in Christ, not just in Adam. There is a new man in the earth. As Colossians said, he brought all things into himself, things above, things below, whether they be principalities, powers, authorities, all things now are in him and for him. You're in Christ. And that was Peter's prophecy of what was happening on that historic day. Humanity is now in Christ. Jesus has done it for us. He's gone through for all humanity. And... The Father now sees him in the earth. Once he only saw Adam. If you're going to share with somebody the good news, you might as well tell them the good news of what's happened. Unless you say to yourself, oh, I don't think he died for that person. They're not behaving well enough. They do mean things. No, Jesus died for that person. <laughs> You've got a good news gospel, which is this. 
So anyway, what was the second prophecy? The second one was from Psalm 16 that wrapped the whole world up in a living hope like David had. He was able to dwell in the presence of God because of the hope of God's love in his heart. Psalm 16 is what Peter quoted, and I'm reading from verse 7. I see the Lord always before my face, for he's at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced, and my speech was glad. Moreover, my soul also will rest in hope. You've made known to me the ways of life. You'll make me full of joy in your presence. There's your Christian life. There's your day of Pentecost. There's your promise. People say, I want the promises of God. That's it. It's all wrapped up in the promise is Jesus. Life in us. Pentecost was the first great move of God's spirit coming to humanity and making history in the earth, causing us to become a new creation. There have been many outpourings of the Holy Spirit in history since that day. And I pray that this new and certain hope in the love of God for us is going to be the essence of the next move of God's Spirit in the earth. I'm not prophesying it. It's, it's not a dream or a vision or prophecy. It's a notion. <laughs> Just have a notion that that would be a beautiful move of God's Spirit because the world needs this. The world hasn't got any hope left. Believed in everything it possibly can. Now let's come right back to where it all started. This is something that will soften people's heart so that their souls will be rescued from the faults, hopes and disappointments wherever they came from. Could have come from the culture they were in. They could have come from the religion they were in, including Christianity. Hopes that led them into disappointment. And this will bring a sure and certain hope in God's healing love to us, spirit, soul, and body. We're going to pray for that in these days. This spirit would come upon us again and awaken those two prophetic words that Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost, the first outpouring of the spirit. And let's wait with hope in our hearts. Amen.